Good morning, Canaan. My name is Nathan Franklin. I serve here as the chair of the Finance Committee. And today our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, so you can begin turning there in your Bible. And while you're doing that, just a little bit more about uh, our work as a Finance Committee. So every year I come to the November business meeting to present the budget for the following year. And the crowd for that is usually a tiny bit smaller than it is right now. So I'll repeat uh, right now what I say every November at the business meeting. But on behalf of our finance committee, thank you for your continued generosity to fund God's work here at Canaan. Uh, your faithful giving really makes our job as a committee much, much easier. So thank you very much on behalf of our committee. And from what I hear, 2024 is off to another great start. Uh, so that's wonderful. Uh, so thank you again and keep up the great work. So thank you. Um, I'm also the uh, lucky husband of Jennifer Franklin, who many of you know very well. I'm the proud father of Cameron, Evan, and Tyson Franklin, who are in our youth ministry here, uh, and who are all seated somewhere in the sanctuary here today, but they're all too cool to sit with their father, so <laughs> that's good. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 is what we're reading. As you are able, please rise for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 19, Jesus tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Great to see all of you. Thanks for being here on this snowy day. Uh, thanks for joining us in online, those of you who couldn't make it today. And um, hopefully, if you have your Bible open to Matthew, keep it open there because we're going to stay there for a little bit as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, which of course is the sermon that, that Jesus gives us uh, here in this text. Really covers Gospel of Matthew, verse, uh, chapters five through seven. So we're about halfway through. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's kind of been interesting to see how this whole message really unfolds as Jesus starts with the Beatitudes and talks about here's, here's who we are as followers of Jesus. This is the way if you're truly a born-again follower of Jesus. This is how you live. You know, you're, you're poor in spirit. You mourn over your sin. You're meek. You're pure in heart. You're a peacemaker, and you're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. All these things talks about the posture of our heart. And then he went to that section we, we dealt with, with, kind of the antithesis, looking at, here's some things that happen in your life when you're not living out, being filled with the Spirit, being born again. Things like, you know, you'll have anger, which really is like murder. You'll have lust, which is really like adultery. There's divorce issues. And he goes and unpacks these different antitheses for what it looks like to live the life. And then he kind of came back and we looked at last couple of weeks, things that we'll do, again, if we are followers of Jesus. We'll give. We'll fast, we'll pray. And in, embedded in all of that was this idea of reward, right? 
And, you know, like when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, but your Father who sees will reward you, right? Remember that? When you pray, don't, don't pray on the street corner and in public just to be heard, but go into the secret and your Father in heaven will reward you there. And then fasting as well. If you fast for everybody to see and you put on the hard face and all that, you already have your reward, but the Father's reward is to meet with you again in private. So we see this concept that Jesus starts to really delve into of reward. And what is, he, what is the ultimate reward? Well, that's where he's gonna really drive home today in the text that Nathan just read is this, this, uh, this, this epic reward, this treasure, right? And so here Jesus kind of, he starts going into talking a little bit about money and we're gonna see why. Um, but the idea of, it goes beyond money to this idea of idolatry, letting something or someone else Take God's position in our life of first place. God wants to be first in your life. So a simple question for you this morning, is Jesus number one in your life? Sounds like a simple question, but really let, let the Holy Spirit just speak to you about that today, right? As we go through the text, as we go through some different thoughts that, that Jesus shares with us here, let's just kind of let the Lord deal with us in that question. Is Jesus really first? We know he's supposed to be first. I mean, that's kind of why we're here, right? A lot of you are here, you've been believers for a while. You know Jesus is supposed to be first, but it's so subtle how we can dethrone him. It's so subtle how we can choose other things, especially when our affections and our passions get involved, right? It's easy to displace the throne of Jesus with something or someone else. It happens a lot in Christendom. It happens a lot in, all, in our lives in moment-by-moment -moment situations. Well, here, Jesus just dives right in to talking about this, this issue of idolatry, of placing someone or something, particularly money and stuff, in his place. And so, um, to have someone or something in that first place is idolatry. And so, idolatry is fatal. It is absolutely Fatal. This leads us to this conversation of money. Money is dangerous. It's a dangerous, this is a dangerous text for us as Americans because we, we got a lot of money, we got a lot of stuff, right? Amen? I mean, how many of you had to open your closet this morning and says, hmm, what should I wear today, right? You know, for like over half of the world, it's not a choice. They only have one outfit. And sometimes that's just a loincloth in some tribal communities, Right? So glad you're not here in just your loincloth, right? Glad we have options. But, you know, it just shows kind of where we stand. So this is a dangerous message for us. Money is dangerous. Um, here Jesus says this in, in Matthew chapter 19 to his disciples. It's true, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Does that sink in for a second? We're the wealthiest nation on the planet. This is to us. This is, we are at high risk as Americans of making an idol out of money and stuff. Money is dangerous. If you have it and depend upon it, that can kill you. If you don't have it, but you crave it, that can kill your faith, right? 
This is a double-edged sword issue. So let's just dive into what Jesus says. This is not just about money. This is about idolatry first and foremost. Let's, let's look at all this. Number one in your notes, Jesus teaches us to lay up treasures in heaven because that's where they will endure, right? He says, don't lay up treasures on earth. Let's hear moth, moth and roth. Gosh, I'll say it in a second. Moth and rust, there we go, destroy, right? And Thieves break in and steal, so they do not endure. Things on this earth do not endure, doesn't. That's why we have to get new vehicles ever so often, and we have to upgrade our homes, and we have to buy new clothes, because everything just wears out. Our bodies wear out, right? Everything wears out. Everything here, physical, is, is temporary, right? But he goes on and says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, they endure, why? Because neither moth nor rust destroys. Thieves do not break in and don't steal. So what is Jesus talking about? What does he mean here when he says, lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth? Well, to answer that question, let's go to Luke's gospel where Luke kind of is talking about this same, where Jesus is talking about this same issue, but Luke records a little more of the conversation. So with this, Jesus tells a parable. So Luke 12, 16 so Jesus told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this, right? I will tear down my barns. A lot of you have heard this before. And I will build larger barns. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, I love that. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. God said to him, fool. Didn't mince words here, right? Fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So, we're going to be rich towards God. Rich towards God. What does that mean? What, is, what does that statement mean? Surely it doesn't mean giving God lots of money. I mean, God doesn't need our money. Just turn to your neighbor, say that. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the psalmist says, right? Cattle, and he owns the hills as well. It's all God's. Everything belongs to God, right? God doesn't need our money. So what is, he, what is this talking about? No, being rich towards God doesn't mean you enrich God. It means you count God as your riches. God is your wealth. God himself is your treasure. God is to be a treasure. This is Jesus' point. He says here, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. He is our treasure. So if you're looking about where to be rich, focus on being rich in God, rich towards God. He is your great reward. Isn't that the theme of this whole chapter, right? When you give, what's your motive for giving? The reward of God, which is what? Himself, him being with you. When you pray, what's the reward of prayer? It's not just to get your prayers answered, right? The, re the reward of prayer is you get God himself in that relationship. You go in the secret, and the reward is that God meets with you there. The God of the universe chooses to be with you in that closet praying. Isn't that amazing? That's the reward. Everything else is just 
the cherry on top, right? Answered prayer, that's just the cherry on top. You get God himself. He is the reward. So laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven will be living in such a way so as you maximize God as your treasure right here, right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This all just ties together, right? So you handle your money in such a way that shows that God, not money, is your treasure. And when God is your treasure, you will do things, you'll do the things of God, and you will organically begin this thing called making disciples, right? That's just an outpouring of loving God. So more disciples will be made. As we treasure God, we'll be more on mission with God and for God. Therefore, we'll have more of a kingdom mindset. We'll think more kingdom thoughts and more disciples will be made. This is why in John chapter 15, verse eight, Jesus says, by this, my father is glorified, treasured, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this, my father is glorified, treasured, right? Making disciples is not just how we treasure God, we treasure God through our relationship with him. But as we do that, he's gonna change our hearts. We'll be living in him, him through us. And the result, we more disciples are being made. So this treasuring of God, this results in us making disciples. The treasuring God is to be our singular ambition. And that's number two here in your notes. Jesus teaches us treasuring God is to be our singular ambition. When you think of ambition, what do you think of? You think of I want to climb the corporate ladder. I want to, you know, some kids might think, I want to be president of the United States. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, you know. Um, or some, I want to be a professional quarterback. Or, you know, I want to be, I want to be the next, uh, you know, winner of American Idol. I don't know. We got all kinds of ambitions, right? But what should our ambition be, according to Jesus? Number one ambition is to be in love with God and he with me. Singular ambitions, treasuring God. So in this, our focus is critical. Our focus is what we have our eyes set on, onto what have you fixed your eyes, right? What is your ambition? Well, here Jesus kind of goes into this kind of a illustration. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body's full of darkness. If then the light is you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So what is Jesus getting at here? Well, a lot of scriptures, the eye is kind of equivalent with the heart. To set the heart, to fix the eyes, kind of a, a same, same kind of idiom, uh, meaning the same thing. We see this in Psalm 119. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You see how set my heart and fix my eyes is kind of kind of means the same thing. So that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. The form of parallelism where the author sort of says the same thing in two different ways. Well, Jesus does that where your treasure, your heart will be, and what you set your eyes on determines if your life is healthy or unhealthy, right? So kind of similar things. Um, so the word healthy here for our eye, though, is an interesting word. The Greek word here, it means more singular or clear, right? So ESV's translated it healthy, which is good. But the concept is it's healthy because it's clear. It's singular vision. 
came from the concept of being, uh, of, of being spread out without folds. Like a, te- a tablecloth was healthy, it had no folds in it. It was simple, it was clear, it was clean, it was unfolded, unmarred. Because you know, when you fold something, it puts creases in it. It was pure. That's kind of the idea here. And so an eye that sees singularly or clearly has a single-minded devotion, as does a heart with a single ambition. John Charles Ryrie, he's, he says this, he says, singleness of purpose is one great secret of spiritual prosperity. And we see that theme continues. We go through the Sermon on the Mount. It's gonna, Jesus is gonna build upon that. So healthy is clear, right? Well, here it says, if your eye is bad, your whole body full of darkness. Here the word bad, it's kind of, a, again, another idiom. It's an evil eye, right? Evil eye. Anybody got, anybody's wives ever give you the evil eye? I get that a lot for some reason. I, guess I do things all the time I shouldn't do, right? But no, I'm just kidding. So, well, no, I'm not. But um, anyway, the, uh, the word for bad here has that con- connotation of evil eye, and it's translated different ways. Like Deuteronomy uses this idiom, idiom and it, uh, it's the word grudgingly, like the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye looks grudgingly. Literally, that's the evil eye. Your evil eye is on your poor brother, right? Seriously, kind of grudging, right? Like you got something against them. Proverbs 23, 6, we see the same phrase, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. This is literally, do not eat the bread of a man who has an evil eye, right? It's stingy, don't desire his delicacies. Proverbs 28 says, a man with, here just rendered it, evil eye hastens after wealth. Why is that? Because that evil eye is greedy, it's bad. And so here Jesus picks up on these idioms, bringing them into into his sermon. So the argument seems to go something like this, right? Just as your eye affects our whole body, right? So our ambition, which is where we fix our eyes in that idiom or set our hearts, that affects our whole life. Just as a seeing eye gives light to the body, so a noble and single-minded ambition to serve God and man adds meaning to life and throws light on everything we do. On the contrary, just like blindness leads to darkness, so a selfish ambition, which is laying for ourselves treasures on earth, plunges us into moral darkness. This is why Paul says this, Philippians 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, right? Don't have an evil eye. Because it's not about you, not about me, all about God. So it's a question of vision, the question of vision. So like, let me just kind of ask you a question. When you're, I like to do this some, I like to sit back and I think about the future a lot, what it could be, you know, what I would like it to be, or what is it going to be, you know, and, and for some, I've talked to this question, yeah, I think about my retirement, you know, and what I want to do in retirement, I want to, want to be able to have enough money to play some golf and do some traveling and that sort of thing. I would say that is very nearsighted vision, right? Well, I like to think, I think the Bible instructs us to think about is what are we going to be doing in glory? What are we going to be doing in eternity? Worshiping Jesus, hanging out, fellowshipping. I know I got a bunch of questions to ask people like Paul and Peter Jesus himself, if I, have, if I have that audience to do that kind of thing, right? I know, I, I, just, I think about those things a lot. But what is your vision for future? Is it just nearsighted or is it long-term, right? What's your vision for the future? If we have physical vision, we see what we're doing and where we are going. I mean, some of you maybe experience this. Maybe this is the way you see. You take your glasses off. Anybody, this is, this is 
You're like, what's wrong with that picture? That's what it looks like all the time, right? Yeah, it's fuzzy, clear. You can't tell where you're going. If I told you, hey, I want you to go talk to Tom over there. Okay, help me out with that, right? Which one's Tom? I don't know. You can't see where you're going. You can't see what you're doing. Therefore, you can't follow instructions. You can't do what you're supposed to do. When your vision is blurry, everything goes out of whack. When your eye is bad, you can't follow Jesus because you can't see where he's going and leading you, right? Clouds, blurs, obstructs, distorts. All these things happen when our eye is not healthy, when we have that evil eye which is driven by wanting to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. Idolatry throws it all off. So if we have spiritual vision, our spiritual perspective is correctly adjusted, and then our life is filled with purpose and drive. Now, let's not just think about this for individuals, because in this context, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves, lay up your treasures. Now, your is plural. And who is Jesus talking to? People who will be following him, right? So our context, it's the church. What about the church? We ask that question. As a church family, it's Canaan Baptist Church. Who or what's our treasure? What is our single vision, single ambition as a church family? This is where a lot of churches get off the rails, right? A lot of churches get off the rails. If a church's ambition is focused on the past, the way things used to be, we see this a lot in the world of replanting and revitalization. You just, you just drive around our city, drive around our county, and you see so many churches that once were, I was, I was up in the city and uh, drove past the old Lafayette Park Baptist Church. Some of you might have gone there. It's not even a church now. 30 years ago, it was running over 1,000 people. I was back in Nashville not long ago, and on the west side, Park Avenue Baptist Church. 1977, it was the second largest Southern Baptist church in the whole state, second to Bell, the big Bellevue Baptist with Adrian Rogers, right? Um, huge church, doing great things. It's closed. Yeah, we go in our city, look at this. Over, what happens? Churches can get a bad eye. Churches treasure can become how things used to be and not now or tomorrow. Oh, what a darkness that is. Because we're relishing something that was, not who Jesus is and where Jesus is leading us. It's easy to fall into. It's understandable. But it's, it's dark. Church's ambition should be on the gospel and the king and his kingdom going forward, regardless of what happens in our context. Easy to say, hard to do. We've got to trust and follow the Lord. Because when a church's ambition is the gospel king, what a healthy eye that is. What great things happen in a church family, through a church family for the kingdom. So, vision. Because the vision, letter B, directs our lives. Comes back here, this last part. And... Um, no one can serve two masters. You just can't do it. You know, 
Some like to try to trick ourselves. Well, you know, I can still serve God, but chase after my riches too. It's okay to be wealthy. It's dangerous, and we're all wealthy from the global perspective, right? But it's who is our master? That's what Jesus is pointing out here. Do you serve God or do you serve your money or whatever your idol is? That's kind of where it's going. What does it mean to serve money? Well, or an idol that isn't God. To serve money means to calculate all of your behaviors, all of your life, to maximize what money can give you. Always asking what benefits can come to you from money. Therefore, what does it mean to serve God? Serving God would mean doing everything you do, calculating all your behavior to maximize the pleasures you can get from God, all the benefits you can from God in Christ. So serving God and money, these are, these are mutually exclusive realities. You can't do both. Serve God and blank. You can't serve God in music. You can't serve God in sports. You can't serve God and your family as an idol still serve your family, but it's possible to idolize your family. When you don't serve God, instead you compromise and do things for your family that maybe you shouldn't do. Like you indulge your kids doing things that they shouldn't be doing, but you don't wanna make that relationship hard. And so there you're sacrificing what God wants you to do through you to your children to go easier on than maybe you should. Serve God. We serve God first and foremost. Churches have compromised the word of God for the sake of trying to not insult people. The gospel, the gospel can, it meddles in our life, doesn't it? The gospel is, it's good news, but it's also hard news because it starts with that God is holy and you're a sinner. None of us like to hear that we're sinners, but we are. So go ahead and remind your neighbor that, hey, you're a sinner. That's the bad news. We don't like to be told that. We don't like to be told that lust is wrong. We don't like to be told that, you know, greed is wrong or that, you know, these things we do, that, that God's very clear in definitions of marriage and sexuality. We don't, a lot of people don't like to hear that stuff. It doesn't change the truth and of God's word and who God is. God doesn't change his mind. We talked about that some last week. God doesn't change his views. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? We don't like to hear that what we're doing is not lined up with the word of God. That's hard news. But once you accept the hard news, that's when the good news becomes really good. That Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sinfulness. He paid the price. He, paid, he took the penalty that we deserve so that we don't have to. And he died in our place. But he rose again from the grave. That's the good news. Idolatry is saying, even though Jesus, you did all that, I want this more. It's idolatry. Saying, you know, to follow, I know for some that have grown up like maybe Catholic, where it's a little different view. Some have converted to, you know, to being born again and following Jesus through baptism, but they didn't want to because they knew it would upset their family. That's a tough pickle to be in, right? But what do you choose? You know, our team just got back from Senegal and uh, we baptized a young lady and um, really exciting. She did it public, even though she knows 
She'll be outcast from her family, her village, because of it. She did it. Why? Because her family is not her idol. Her family is not preeminent. Her family is not her number one. Jesus is. And she did it. We'll show some of those videos probably next Sunday night when it's not broadcast because I want to protect them. They want to put all that stuff on the web so that others, you know, could get retribution and whatnot. It's exciting to see people get that. For us right now, it's easier to be a Christian. It's easier to claim Jesus. Not that much at risk. So a lot of times we're not really tested in this idolatry thing in some areas. But looking in your heart right now, Holy Spirit's moving in your life. What are some areas in your life that threaten idolatry? What are some areas in your life to where it wouldn't take much for you to cross that line? Or yeah, I know in my mind Jesus is supposed to be first, but man, when it comes to my passion, when it comes to what I spend my money on, when it comes to how I spend my time, easily blur, blur that line or even step over that line into an area of idolatry. It goes back to the original question that Jesus asks, what is or who is your treasure? Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Jesus knows that he is at war for our hearts, right? And he knows the biggest adversary for our hearts is not Satan, for us, it's usually money and stuff because we become so quickly dependent upon it. And we think if I have a lot of it, I'm good to go. Especially if you grow up poor and you don't ever want to be hungry again or ever want to be short of clothing again. That's a real thing. It's easy to put your trust in money and not trust in God. Well, that brings on anxiety. That's what Jesus hits next. When we trust in things other than God, we result in anxiety. Oh, by the way, you know, the United States is one of the most anxious nations in the world. We struggle with anxiety more than any other nation. And we got a lot of stuff. You know that's connected, right? That's totally connected. We'll deal with that next week. So, or are you at trusting in Jesus? Are you treasuring Jesus? It's totally appropriate as you get ready to close here just to simply ask Jesus to help you trust him more. I mean, this is not a long passage, pretty straightforward. Do you treasure Jesus or are you treasuring stuff, money or something else? Where are you at in this? Let's all stand, we pray for you. Go to a time of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you treasure the Father. You honor the Father. You obey the Father as you came to die for us. Lord, I pray as we just close out this time together, that God, you would just speak to our hearts and you would just do a work in our hearts. Lord, it's a simple question, but God, it's a powerful question. Jesus, am I treasuring you? Or do I take you for granted? Or do I simply 
come to you and I need you to do something for me as if you exist to serve me. Oh God, you only, you only pray when I'm at a meal with others who expect it of me or in a church connection group when it's expected. Or God, do I treasure the reward of you being with me? Lord, I just pray that we're all just really honest with you and ourselves here this morning. And God, we, we're convicted and we do something about it. We'll allow you, Lord, to work and change our hearts. If there's some here who've never trusted in you, Jesus, and been saved, that God, that would happen here this morning and they would begin this relationship to enjoy you as the ultimate reward that you are. Well, maybe others have been saved, but God, you're not first place in their life. You're on down the list. God, for there to be genuine repentance and heart change, maybe even some brokenness, over how we've not treasured you. And Lord, you're exponentially more delightful than any other thing we could put in that first place position. God, you're much more delightful than our husbands or wives. You're much more delightful than even our kids and grandkids. That says a lot because you get a lot of delight out of all of those people. So Jesus, be magnified and elevated in our thoughts and affections this morning. So God, just move in our hearts, awaken our hearts, all for your glory's sake. Play us in Christ's name.